So we're delighted today to actually talk to two fabulous individuals with respect to the whole challenge of uh, how pets and in particular dogs could actually help with AAI, that's Animal Assisted Intervention. Uh, first of all, Vice President of the Waltham Pet Care Science Institute, that's the wonderful Kay O'Donnell. How are you, Kay? I'm very well, thank you, Alex. Uh, and the founder and CEO of Veterans with Dogs and Military Veteran, of course, the wonderful Craig McClellan. How are you, Craig? I'm good, Alex. Thank you very much. Excellent. Kay, if we can start with you, can you just talk to us a little bit about this particular study and uh, the findings that really are hugely significant in terms of how, obviously, the post-COVID crisis, PTSD, that perfect storm, maybe actually we can look to our uh, canine friends for help with this? Uh, yes, I'm delighted to do that. So, so uh, we know, we estimate that there are between uh, 150,000 to 625,000 veterans in the UK that could be living with PTSD. Um, and it's crucial and critical that we find ways to support them, integrate well into society. And, and this study, um, this recent study, shows uh, that dog-walking shelter dogs has the potential to improve the lives of veterans, helping them address the symptoms of PTSD and reduce uh, stress. And this study was uh, funded by the Waltham Pet Care Science Institute and ISAS and Canaan um, uh, providing assistance to Wood and Warriors. So, so it was a, a conglomerate that worked together to, to find this key finding. And, and it, um, it has the potential to... to add additional interventions to improve the lives of, of our veterans suffering from PTSD. Now, Craig, as a military veteran, clearly, uh, and also the founder of uh, a chief executive officer of, of Veterans with Dogs, this must particularly resonate with respect to yourself. I mean, is this something which we've kind of known for years that actually dogs and animals have been really useful in terms of helping with uh, people's stress factors, etc. But actually talking about it as we are today really raises that whole profile in terms of how dogs can really be of massive importance when uh, we have veterans with service related mental health disorders. Absolutely, it does. Yes. Um, yes, we've we've known for years the value of, of dogs. You know, we don't call them man's best friend for nothing, do we? But it's wonderful. All to woman's best have friend. Science. <laughs> or woman, or woman, yes. or in between, or Indeed. any yes, other description. Exactly. Excuse me. Um, yes. We've known for years that, you know, dogs are of huge value to, to our mental health. Um, and it's fantastic now to see that there's research coming through to, to support what we what we know um, and to give us um, some real good evidence based research on the benefits and are there any particular yeah are there any particular breeds in particular that actually are more useful I mean, we were talking earlier with our, one of our correspondents in Gibraltar and she was saying that she wouldn't really necessarily say that her pug was the best to actually deal with uh, with things from this point of view because he doesn't do any walking whatsoever uh, but uh, from your own point of view, are we looking at, at, at uh, chihuahuas? Are we looking at poodles? Are we looking at larger dogs? Uh, what's the sort of, or is it a case of it doesn't really matter what breed it is, there's still a connection there? It doesn't matter. It can be absolutely any breed whatsoever. I mean, yes, you can say you're not going to use a pug as an assistance dog. We don't. For example, we use Labradors mm. and Retrievers and mm. Spaniels. However, the benefits of annual companionship, it doesn't matter the breed whatsoever. Returning briefly to Kay O'Donnell. Kay, can you just share with us some of the benefits of actually walks for, for shelter dogs as well from that point of view? Well, this 
study showed um, it measured a, a range of variables um, during and after the walk. So it looked at um, salivary cortisol, which is stress hormone, and it found that uh, when uh, the veterans were, were walking sheltered dogs, that decreased. And it looked at heart rate variability, which is another stress indicator. And again, that moved in the right direction of reduction of stress. And, and so the real benefit of this, and it was a dual benefit, we saw a benefit for veterans because their stress decreased. And also we saw a, a benefit for the shelter dogs as well. There are about 130,000 dogs that end up in shelters in the UK every year. And less than 50% of those are adopted. All of those dogs need to be socialized and exercised every day. And this was a great way of doing that where uh, you have the benefits of the dogs because they get exercise and they get socialization and therefore increase the likelihood of adoption for them. And we had the benefit to the veterans as well, reducing their stress. Certainly, we started off by talking about how uh, dogs can assist us. Maybe it's a case of the strap line. Dogs are for your life as well as not just for Christmas. Uh, could be actually uh, added to this whole system because uh, the, the, the balance is, is very important. Uh, finally, uh, would you like to just share with us where people can find out further information, Craig, about veterans with dogs first? Absolutely. You can go to our website, veteranswithdogs.org.uk. And if you'd like to find out more information about the research that Kay has been discussing this morning, go to waltham.com too, and everything there is available. Well, allowing for the fact that this has probably been one of the most stressful Zoom calls we've actually had and had to bounce back and forth at Sancho with computer screens collapsing all sorts of ways. I think I'll go and have a little lie down in a, in a darkened room at present, but we got there in the end. Kay O'Donnell, Vice President of the Waltham, uh, the Waltham uh, Pet Care Science Institute, and Craig McClellan, military veteran and founder and CEO of Veterans with Dogs. Many thanks indeed. Thank you now. Thank you. Thank you. Now, since lockdown began, 41% of British folk have actually faced issues with their teeth, but only 45% of those actually knew who to contact with respect to obviously sorting those challenges out. And we've heard lots of horror stories with respect to how the old phrase, be true to your teeth and they'll never be false to you, has very much emerged at the heart of this. Dental practices, of course, are very much at the heart of all sorts of issues relating to this. And we're delighted now to be able to talk about the future of dentistry and indeed the post-COVID future of dentistry uh, with Catherine uh, Tannehill, Director of Clinical Dentistry at Portman Dental Care. Good to speak with you, Catherine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Alex. Thank you well, for having uh, me. I, I, I must have. I, I have a, an annual dental checkup. It usually takes place in May. It's obviously going to be backed up this year until probably July, September, August, September, etc. Et but at the same time, some of these stories about British folk being far too scared to return to dentists. I mean, it seems as though all the good work and all the excellent work that's been done in terms of making sure that people have felt at ease, that it's not a case of seeing a scene from the Marathon Man and Laurence Olivier uh, using dentistry techniques to torture uh, Dustin Hoffman. Uh, you know, this, is a, this is a line where actually, you know, we need good dental health, but we, we can't really have this phobia of going to the dentists. You're absolutely right there, Alex. I think it's it, we have worked very hard as a profession to make sure that people feel comfortable coming to the to the dentist and and are confident to do so. And um, we certainly understand that people might be anxious to return to the dentist, but we want to reassure everybody that we are very much open at Portman Dental Care, and we're open to new and existing patients. 
we've really made every effort to go above and beyond the recommended guidelines to make it a, a safe and welcoming and reassuring place to be. We're quite concerned that if people don't return to the dentist, that we may be missing diagnosing key health issues um, and and that people, as you say, have been taking matters into their own hands during lockdown um, with DIY dentistry and, and maybe making things worse for themselves when they didn't know who to contact or how to access any care. So we are now open um, and we can offer the full range of treatment for patients. So if people have been putting off returning to dental practices for essential um, dental health examinations, we would urge you to reconsider because it could lead to more serious health problems in the long term, such as gum disease and tooth decay and even undiagnosed mouth cancer. Absolutely. Now, in terms of that, um, just talk us through some of the, the mechanisms that are actually in place in, in, in certainly in Portman uh, dental, care, dental Care when it comes to obviously folk who are concerned about the coronavirus and, and, and you can't escape it because obviously COVID-19, the pandemic itself, every single day there are new stories of new flare-ups and issues relating to that from, from that point of view. Um, just talk us through the kind of general sort of things that a, a, a returning patient can expect. So um, we're certainly aware that people will want to feel very safe and, and whilst dental practices have always been very safe and, and clean environments, we really have gone above and beyond. So when you arrive at the practice, you would have your temperature checked and you wouldn't sit in the waiting room. There'll be no flicking through magazines or having a, a drink in the waiting room. It'll be straight through to the treatment area. So a little bit of VIP treatment, really. Meet and greet at the door and straight through with no waiting. And um, you will see that the dentist may have um, extra additional um, enhanced PPE because you obviously used to seeing us with masks and gloves on oh. but you, I think you sometimes you may not recognize us quite so much because our faces may be covered up there'll be more extensive cleaning and um, at Portman Dental Care we've also got air, air purifier units in which um, clean the air and remove viruses and bacteria from the air and we're also doing other things um, outside of those appointments to keep everybody safe, such as being able to chat to your dentist online on video consultations. So if you've got a problem, we will talk to you over the phone or via a video link and um, you can actually see us and show us problems and and discuss it that way so we really want to say if you've got an issue please do get in touch um, call or email we are there and we are open and um, we're ready to see you the key message is basically technology is there to actually help support uh, connections with, uh, with with dentists uh, clearly the standard practice of making sure you brush your teeth twice daily at least and indeed you uh, you, you use the normal uh, maintenance aspects you would endorse in terms of ensuring that actually prevention is always better than cure and uh, you know just because you might have had lockdown doesn't mean you should have actually neglected those basic hygiene essentials. Definitely. Um, maintaining good oral health and hygiene is incredibly important and something that we at Portman Dental Care have been very keen to promote during lockdown 
while the practices were closed. So if you have a look at the portmandentalcare.com website, you will see there's lots of self-help on there that we've utilised to um, pass that message along while we have been closed. And I think it's safe to say that a lot of us have changed our habits in lockdown. So that's a little bit of a concern for us as dentists. I know that I've been snacking more while I've been working from home. Um, and, and I think it's important um, to, to maintain the, the normal routine of brushing our teeth twice a day for two minutes with a fluoride toothpaste. You know, they're the basic dental health messages oh. and um, you, you can access further advice on how to go um, that step further and use interdental brushes and floss and so on but the more we can do to help ourselves the better because it does mean that we'll need less dental care in the future. It's quite interesting to see that 44% uh, of patients in London and indeed those aged uh, between 18 and 34 which are over half of those folk are the most hesitant to return and in the East Midlands and Scotland, uh, folk are most likely to wait more than a year to return. Um, I, mean, I don't know if you've got any theories about the sort of regional differences with respect to that, but it just seems sort of quite interesting in terms of the, the way these, these things tend to break down. But uh, the message that clearly comes across from today, Catherine, is look, don't neglect your oral health care and ensure that actually that whole notion of staying in touch and staying in contact with your dentist is absolutely absolutely essential but where Catherine can people actually go to to find out further information about what we've been discussing today so they can visit portmandentalcare.com or they can um, contact their dentist call or email their dentist um, it's really important to remember that we are open and we're here for all treatments we understand people may be anxious but please don't um, sit on any issues. Please come and see us and, and return and we can look after you. You see, clearly, Catherine, we should actually have you as a virtual Catherine Tannehill in every dental surgery so you could just actually assuage people's fears and calms just by the gentle melodic tones of your voice. That would work perfectly. But maybe that's a technological <laughs> leap forward for another time. Meanwhile, Catherine Tannehill, it's been fantastic sharing some thoughts with your good self. Uh, have you had a reasonably interesting Zoom cast with us today? I have. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for your time. Well, a, a whole new sort of world of, of technology awaits. Catherine Tannehill, Director of Clinical Dentistry at Portman Dental Care. Many thanks indeed. With a recent study revealing that uh, one in five drivers admit feeling less safe on the roads than they did before lockdown, and indeed many have actually had uh, situations where they've had a, a near miss collision, clearly we need to think about road safety and a variety of aspects relating to that. And we're delighted today to actually welcome uh, from NFU Mutual to talk about the findings of this particular study and research, the wonderful Steve Tucker. How are you, Steve? I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. So share with us. I mean, it's, it's quite frightening. I mean, I know from my own point of view, um, I was just checking my, my mileage since lockdown back in March. I've done 86 miles. And that was uh, basically just around the sort of the, the, the local area, uh, getting the MOT done, bit of virtue signalling there, uh, and a few other sort of aspects as well. Uh, but, but certainly there wasn't a noticeable um, lack of skill on the road. But, you know, clearly this, this survey would suggest otherwise. Yes, that's right. So, so drivers are obviously taking their longest car journeys for almost four months. I, I barely used my car over the last four months. Oh. And it was a bit odd getting back behind the wheel um, very recently. And what we're hearing from the recent research we've done is that unfortunately, people aren't feeling as safe on the roads as they used to do. And that's mainly due to their trust in other drivers. 
who they feel have picked up bad habits while the roads were quieter in lockdown, such as yeah. driving faster now or not signalling. And also when we ask people how they feel about getting their cars road ready, um, many of them admit to um, lacking confidence in things like checking tyres and also what they do if they had a flat battery. So for example, one in three admit to lacking confidence in, in how to jumpstart their car. And I don't blame them because it's not often, thankfully, we have to do that. And I guess what the figures show is, is that it's really important to obviously take care on the roads and be mindful that there's going to be some nervous drivers out there. So give them space and time, but also to give yourself reassurance and extra peace of mind, make sure you've got the right level of insurance and also a breakdown cover as people take to the roads again. And, and what we have with NFU Mutual for our customers, our car insurance customers, is we give them RAC, RAC breakdown as standard. And, and until the end of August, we're also enhancing that complementary to give them at home and national recovery breakdowns too for that additional peace of mind because we're seeing a big increase in people being stuck at home with flat batteries. Well, I can certainly identify with the flat battery because I had a, it was two months basically which the car uh, uh, was not being used, uh, and uh, certainly the first thing was actually getting a replacement battery. Uh, thanks to a well-known motoring organisation, which I won't talk about at this particular stage because that's another issue. We have been joined today, of course, from uh, ROSPA, the uh, Road Safety Protection Organisation, uh, by the wonderful Nick Lloyd. Nick, good morning. How are you? Hello there. Morning. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Good. Now, we've been talking about uh, the, this particular research and clearly from your own perspective, um, you know, to prevent road safety accidents, etc. This is this is critical. You, you, you need to be confident, you need to be skills in the car. And I was really concerned that uh, the research revealed that, as is ever the case, you know, you don't believe that you're the problem on the road. It's other people on the road. It's amazing how we think uh, everybody else is a bad driver and we are the best driver in the world, isn't it? Yes, it's, um, it always makes me smile. Um, but certainly when people haven't been driving for a while, their confidence can, can um, dip and their driving skills can become a little bit rusty. Um, so we at Rosper are obviously urging people to think about how they, how they drive, where they drive, and if they do want a little bit of, um, of a confidence booster, we have a variety of um, uh, ROSPA groups around the country where people can join and they, then they can go out with an, um, a ROSPA coach who will give them some hints and tips on how they can improve their driving. I took a refresher course of two, two years ago now, actually. That was after about 25 or so years of, of driving. And, and yeah, it does actually help. And I have to say, just actually, not necessarily picking up bad habits, but just kind of making sure that you're, you're kind of up to speed with the, 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 the changes, the adjustments, the other sort of aspects. And, and clearly that, that's an impact. Um, do you think the advent of driverless cars, which we're promised will be emerging, will, will sort of impact on this? Or is it a case of no, that's a long way down the line? I think it'll be upon us far sooner than we think. Um, 90 odd percent of crashes involve human error so driverless cars are really going to be the the, um, the next massive thing to reduce crashes on our roads and, and, and save lives i think the issue is going to be when we have highly autonomous cars where the driver still needs to be in charge for maybe uh, 10 minutes out of an hour and so the, the the problem there and the issue that we at rosper think is how are we going to remain attentive when most of the time you're not actually going to be in control of the vehicle. So um, in the long run, autonomous cars are really going to save lives, but it might be a bit of a bumpy journey before we get there.
Steve, if I can turn to you uh, back with NFU Mutual. I mean, looking ahead to, to the future there of uh, obviously electrification, autonomous drive cars and so on. Uh, is that a whole new world or is it a case of no NFU Mutual? We're ahead of the game. We're already on the case. Yes, of course. We're always keeping an eye on that. And many of our customers already have electric cars and, and the latest models of cars always have new features to help drivers be safer and to help others on the road as well. Um, so that's great to see, and we're encouraging that. As, as Nick said, how, how can we make cars safer for, for people who are driving them, but also everyone else on the road too? And, and in addition to that, um, to obviously give people peace of mind, um, we recommend they, they do the reg regular checks on their car, such as checking the oil, the tires, but, all, but also the maintenance of the car to keep, it, to keep it running. And so, for example, in lockdown, what we're finding is people are using their cars not at all or very limited amount of time, but actually those people who are using them aren't going very far. So what we, what we would recommend people do is, is do run your car for at least 15 minutes and that gives your car enough time to charge the battery so you don't end up in a situation where you're stuck on the drive or in the middle of nowhere with, with, a, with a flat battery and a breakdown. And that's why we include um, RSE coverage standard in, in our car insurance as well to give that additional peace of mind for our customers. And finally, Steve, uh, best place to go to to find out details about NFU uh, Mutual to start off with. And then we'll turn to Nick for details for OSPA. Yeah, simply search NFU Mutual and RAC, or you can speak to one of your local NFU Mutual agents. And Nick, as far as finding out details about uh, OSPA, I love these acronyms. It's always, always great. It's like ostrich, outrageous suggestions taken readily in courageous hands. One of my personal favorites. But OSPA, where can people find out details uh, about your fantastic organization? For for uh, training, it's www.rodar, which is r-o-a-d-a-r.org.uk, and for general road safety advice, it's just rosper.com. Nick Lloyd from Rosper and uh, from NFU Mutual, uh, Steve Tucker. Many thanks indeed, and obviously, drive safely, chaps. Finances, family and health concerns. Those are certainly the big three when it comes to stress factors that people tend to suffer with. And uh, in the uh, continuing COVID-19 crisis that we're working through, whether it's post-lockdown, all manner of other aspects coming through that, clearly that has a major impact on our general health and well-being. And accordingly, we're delighted to welcome two fabulous folk to actually chat to us about uh, both this particular uh, survey by uh, Cigna Europe and so on, but other aspects related to mental health. First of all, Special Forces Officer Extraordinaire, the fabulous Ollie Ollerton. How are you, Ollie? I'm very good, thanks, Alex. Yourself? Excellent, very good indeed. And also from Cigna, uh, the wonderful Dr. Peter Mills. How are you, Peter? Good morning, Alex. I am well, thank you. Excellent. Ollie, if we can come to you first. I mean, Sure. Some of the, the sort of headlines of this, more than seven in 10 people, it's over 70% currently stressed. Uh, over a quarter don't feel they've got people that can talk to. Uh, you know, a quarter of people don't feel they've got anybody to turn to. Those are really troublesome figures, really. Uh, and, and certainly, um, we are one human race. We need to actually look after each other, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those stats do not surprise me. And it's, it's, the research Cigna have done here is absolutely amazing. But, um, and, and the sooner we can switch on to start really looking after each other and really checking in, the better. I mean, I always relate this to, you know, we service a car before the problems start to occur. You should, we should be doing that with ourselves. And also just noticing those differences with other people and ourselves. Because, you know, this is in a very uncertain times. They're very, you know, the future is very uncertain. And people are going to struggle not only now, but in the future with their, with their mental health. 
Uh, Peter, as Associate Mental Medical Director for Cigna Europe, were you at all surprised by this research or did you think, well, we actually were surprised it wasn't even higher? Yes, there are some areas that I think were quite surprising. And although we do tend to dwell on the negatives during these difficult times, uh, if I start off with some of the positives that we found from the survey, um, we found that people who were in work stated that actually their learning and development had improved during lockdown. Organizations were spending more time focusing on um, how individuals should be doing their jobs and training them appropriately. Also, they said in general that they were spending more quality time with their family, possibly because they weren't having to commute and there was no business travel. Um, but undoubtedly, there are also some concerning areas as well. Concern with finances, as you mentioned. Also, friendships and the social aspect of life has, has been impacted, and people are finding that's really concerning them. The always-on culture is another area that in our previous surveys at Sigma we have identified as being an issue, and I think this has got worse during lockdown. You're there, you're always at work. Ollie, turning to yourself with respect to that, I mean, clearly your background as Special Forces Officer, people will say, well, I mean, he's used to stress, we can work through that. I'm just a little so-so, try to do my, my, my best, etc. I just can't cope. But actually, there, there is a lot of similarities in terms of that, because presumably in, in, in your everyday work, again, Peter's just been referring to the fact that we're always on. Yes, meetings, online stuff, etc. There are times where you always need to just take time out for yourself sometimes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's, there's so many things that we can do to, to maintain that sort of mental health um, fitness, if you want to call it that. But I really think, you know, a lot of the stuff that I learned about my own mental health was when I left the military. And I think people can relate to that a lot these days because, you know, a lot of people say to me, you know, what's it like actually leaving the military? You know, your everyday your structure has disappeared. The camaraderie and the support network has, has fallen away. And you're left with a massive void. So really what people are going through at the moment is very similar to the situation I found myself in um, after leaving the military. And that took um, a long time for me to actually, um, you know, to stabilize. It took me 10 years to actually stabilize. Uh, and that was 10 years of sort of, um, you know, mental health issues, alcohol abuse, all that kind of thing. So really it's, you know, when we were in the special forces, we worked in very small teams, four-man teams, but we would never break down for any less than two. And really that is that you've always got someone looking after you. You've always got someone that's got you six, if you want to call it that. And um, it, Lovely American just, phrase, that. I, yeah. I, I often, <laughs> got the first six. time I saw that in an American movie, I thought, what, they are, what are they referring to? But yes, <laughs> covering your back, shall we say. Yes. Covering your back, yeah, yeah. We'll make it more English, shall we? Um, so, you know, but it's really important to have that support network. It gives you a whole wealth of confidence. And it's just knowing someone's looking out for you is... is, is is brilliant you know it's it works both ways and that's why Cigna have uh, come up with this healthcare check-in uh, which is absolutely brilliant you know that people can follow and it's not just as simple as just saying hello how are you doing and, and people just uh, do the default answer where it's yeah I'm fine it's about really investigating that a little bit further and being non-judgmental um, and, and allowing the person to talk and, and you to, to to be the receiver of that and listen. I mean, Peter, I was uh, interested in terms of, of Ollie's response from that point of view, because 
for so long, the British tradition or the almost the, the cliched stiff upper lip has been, if somebody says, how are you? You know, whilst you might have had a response, you honestly don't want to know, or have you got several days to talk about it? There, you know, is this something which we're, we're gradually beginning to see for our own mental health? Thankfully, people are beginning to open up more and actually have people to, to relate to, as, as, as Ollie's just been saying. I think you're right, Alex. I think we are gradually changing as a nation. And I, I think the younger generation are actually the ones who are, who are driving some of that change. They are more open to discussions about mental health and the fact that uh, mental health issues are prevalent and are affecting people's lives. Um, the idea really behind the stress care check-in is that we're trying to encourage people to, in some cases, get outside of their comfort zone and although it's easier to just accept the, how are you, yes, I'm fine, to actually go a little bit deeper and, and really inquire about your friends, your family, your work colleagues, are they okay? Is there anything that, that you can do to, to help them? Um, let's move on. I mean, I'm mindful very much of the notion of John Donne's line. Perhaps I'll just uh, update it slightly to no person is an island as opposed to no man is an island because I think it, 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 it works through the, the whole line of things from that point of view. Um, Ollie, if you had the chance to actually just give just a, a short word of advice for somebody who might be listening to this, uh, this particular piece and thinking, well, it's all very well for Ollie and Peter. They're all sorted out. They're all done and dusted. Um, what, what would you actually counsel them to actually do in terms of if they're feeling a bit low and unconnected? Well, I think um, certainly for me, talking from past experience, prevention is better than cure. You know, don't go, don't find yourself in, um, you know, in, in a flat spin of despair. Um, prevent that before it happens. And it's, it's so important to start noticing things within yourself uh, and pay attention to the things that happen, not in, just in yourself, but, you know, in the people around you, the people that are close to you. And if you, people know when that energy's changed, people know when, you know, something's on someone's mind. So it's really starting to, to pay attention to that. Um, and, and, and really, you know, use the Cigna healthcare check-in, um, which is obviously a, a brilliant asset that's on the web. Um, and, and people can start doing that straight away. So, um, We'll really, I mean, details in, in a few seconds, I'm often thinking perhaps yeah. we should actually use not just who dares wins, but who cares wins. Just Absolutely. 100%. A different line. Uh, Peter, returning to yourself, have you got details in terms of how people can actually find out further information from Cigna, C-I-G-N-E, um, online or otherwise? Indeed. Yes, Alex. Now, um, we haven't actually created a particularly memorable URL app yet. Um, it's C-I-G-N-A. Um, our... Uh, if you go to comms, C-O-M-M-S dot Cigna, C-I-G-N-A dot com, check in dash UK. I know it's not desperately memorable. We're going to change that very, uh, very shortly. Um, but, uh, and, and, and of course, if you uh, go to Cigna.co.uk and send us a message, we will be able to send you that URL as well. Makes perfect sense. Dr. Peter Mills, Associate Medical Director for Cigna Europe, uh, and indeed the awesomely talented Special Forces Officer, Ollie Ollerton. I must admit, Ollie, I've just revealed to the, to the, to the listener, this is another one of our wonderful Zoom things, and we've actually had visual uh, input up today, and you, you, you obviously win today in terms of best background with that awesome sort of <laughs> portrait behind you. I really didn't close. notice that was there. <laughs> 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 very good very effective uh, gentlemen many thanks indeed stay safe and speak soon hopefully thanks alex thank you
I think we're currently up to around about 35 or 40 Zoomers that we've put together, but uh, there are folk in California who will now be actually giving yelps of joy when they actually know that Katie Grimerson has actually joined the Zoomer Brigade, uh, certainly when it comes to being a midweek drivet, uh, currently in Birmingham, in Erdington to be precise. Katie Grimerson, welcome back to the midweek drive via Zoom. Hello, so good to see you. Yes, well, although it is radio, it is, it is audio. Uh, most people do tend to take the option of actually seeing people uh, across the, uh, the, the sequences. I've had a few people who prefer to be uh, uh, sound only. Uh, that's probably just from my side anyway, um, where people just say, I don't want to look at you. Just, 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 just give me a name. I can't stand it at all. A <laughs> uh, bit of self-deprecation there. But in terms of the, the overall system, yeah, we are connecting via Zoom. Uh, and um, well, I mean, it's it's quite some time since the last photo that we did. I think seven months, four, four or five yes. months. Got yeah, it must be mm. long time. Yeah, exactly. Since then, of course, uh, you've been uh, working for the University of Warwick. You've been furloughed by the University of Warwick. You've been sorting various other bits and pieces out. And I do believe, more importantly, you're learning sign language, which, as you'll appreciate, is very important on radio. Um, so that's always good. Um, <laughs> It's like tap dancing or ventriloquism or magical tricks, all of which we've addressed in the time has passed. Something else, of course, you've been putting together in terms of your skill set, the ever-growing Katie Grimerson skill set, uh, is, of course, piano playing. So uh, what's it like, Katie? Have you actually been doing your C major scale, your C minor scale, your arpeggios, your uh, areas from then that? How are you finding the piano playing lessons by Zoom, of course? Well, I've actually been playing, like having my lessons for about three or four years, but I've only just been, I was a bit lazy with it, if I'm honest, to start with. Doesn't but sound like you, Katie. <laughs> since all this, and like, I wanted to start and not rely, right, way before lockdown, not rely on social media, because I think that can be quite damaging. So I did start to um, pick up my piano practicing, and it's really good, actually, I've I've picked it up so much, like I've learned the scales and I just keep practicing it. And I would actually like to do a grade one exam now, which mm -hmm. is what she's, she's given me a few pieces to do. Um, so I've been doing those. And yes, I've been doing the sign language as well. Here we are, you see. But not both at the same time, because clearly that would be more or less impossible, really. Unless, of course, you play the piano oh, yeah. with your feet. There's a thought of that. I think Elton John was known in his time as a uh, uh, concert pianist and performer to actually sometimes use his feet. It's not good. It's not a good look. Um, no. Uh, so favourite tune so far that you've been uh, working and learning on? Quadrille. Very good. And did you read music before you actually started taking piano lessons or was it a case of you had to learn EGBDF, FACE, treble clef, bass clef and all of those other sort of wonderful technical things that musicians actually take as a matter of course? Yeah, I've learned it from scratch and obviously the reading of it was difficult to start with, but I just seem to have become more confident in it now. And I can even play some Oasis songs on the piano ah. as well. Well, this could clearly be a classic example of how the Gallagher Brothers feud could be rescued by Katie Grimerson, effectively uh, offering to actually do a, yeah, a bandage. Uh, yeah. Katie's now moved the camera down so I can actually see the full sort of view of what she's actually wearing. Uh, not in that sort of way. Don't worry. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, you always, you have 
you can never be never be too careful these days, Katie. So just want to be clarify that. Uh, but in terms of uh, one of those Gallagher brothers, so to speak, who of course do support Manchester City, so that's always a good sign, which is excellent. Um, and these piano lessons you've been doing via Zoom, I gather. Yes. Um, obviously, so how does with that lockdown, work? Because I mean, so, I, 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 yeah. Um. It, well, I normally have forty-five minutes, but she because it's quite awkward. Um, it, we go into 30 minutes and I just set up my keyboard, prop the phone up. She can't, she, she can see some of it what I'm playing, but she mainly has to go by listening. So she'll ask me to play the pieces I've been working on and the scales, but it mainly has to be done by listening because I've had my lesson today. Um, and there's things what she can't show me over Zoom as I am looking to do my grade exam. So that'll have to be done in person, but I've I've just been getting on with it, and I do really enjoy it. It's it's kept me sane, I think. You see, back <laughs> in the twentieth century, before you were born, when I had, I think, let me see, I started playing the piano at five, and continued until I was about sort of sixteen, seventeen. So yeah, about ten or eleven years of piano lessons and so on. It was all effectively done at the piano teacher's house. Uh, the piano that was actually there. We went through the processes from that, and you had. Um, obviously the, the, the physicality of working through that. And I was just fascinated in terms of how you were going to translate that into the online system, because let's face it, this might be where we're at for the next few centuries. Who knows? I've heard various rumours. Some people say, we'll forget all about it by 2022. Other people say, get used to it. This is what it's all about. Um, who knows? Uh, it's all part and parcel. I mean, it is, it is tough because I can't, she can't really see what I'm doing. Um, and like she has to hold the music up onto her like camera and she has to have a camera where what's on her keyboard yeah. but um but I you make it, you make it work got... you make it work that's the important yeah. thing uh be interesting you, you... you... sorry no, I, I think as say, long be... as you've got the, mot the motivation to practice when you, like you're not having the lesson you can take it in a lot more and i've got so much time now to just keep working through it. Time is a wonderful resource, but it's also an illusion as well. Well, thank you, Matt. Uh, in terms of the uh, actual exam, of course, I mean, that, that was some of the things that I must admit, I look back with um, uh, interesting times on my, on my uh, examinations for music, which went I think, all up to about grade seven. Um, but it was very much a case of you had a church hall, which was usually freezing cold, and you'd have to step in. Actually, to be fair, they probably could still repeat the exam because you were pretty much socially distant uh, from the examiner, except, of course, when they actually come to the keyboard to effectively test your powers of uh, pitch and recall and identification and matching the singing and all the rest of the bits and pieces, which I'm sure you'll, you'll have done as well. But then, you know, you'll be singing like anybody's business. It's great. You know, it's like Julie Andrews, <laughs> do, re, mi, et cetera. <laughs> I did ask her actually, like when I said I wanted to take the exam, I did ask her because I was curious and I said, what's it actually like? And she said, it's not very long at all. Um, and it is usually in a church hall. <laughs> so. You see, things, certain things remain constant. The Royal Schools of Music and pianoforte exams clearly work through that. And that's a certain constancy that we can actually take some, some comfort in really, I suppose, uh, together with the yeah. fact that... Uh, yeah, they, they, they'll work through all manner of things. And they use, I think they usually last about 15 minutes. So usually, you usually get three pieces, I think, to do. Um, and uh, yeah. then you play those and then you get other things. Yes, so it's marvellous. It's great stuff. Um, moving on, 
in terms of so obviously musician you can add that to the whole thing i just for some reason <laughs> i sort of keep, keep having this sort of uh do re mi fa so la ti do the sort of julie andrews moment there which is very good <laughs> i'm sure you'll, you'll, be, you'll be getting into that yeah it's maybe in a sort of liam gallagher oasis way what for you i mean apart from obviously taking time to reflect on things and obviously taking up and making good use of uh, the lockdown period what, what's been the kind of the the best thing that you found over the last few months um oh it's a good question actually like i mentioned before it was being recorded um being grateful for what you have at the minute because i i like obviously a lot of things what i've been doing like i used to go out to eat a lot i used to go and have my hair done on a monthly basis and stuff like that that stopped and i wasn't able to do that anymore so i just think like amidst all the stuff like the news and all that where there's all this bad press and like fear i think you you just have to say to yourself like you know i'm still here i'm breathing i'm living i'm still here i've still got my life because sadly a lot of people have lost lives to the virus um and i've still got my family it's just being grateful and like taking things as they come have the Grimace and family been Zooming like crazy then? Are they connecting all over the world with Zoom folk? Have you become a, a, a Zoom addict in a case of if I don't get my Zoom in every <laughs> Thursday, I'm just not worth living with? We have actually, because um, we used to, like, my sister lives in Portsmouth, so obviously we haven't been able to just go and see her because we see her, like, monthly. Um, but we've been phoning her, like, video calling her weekly. Um, she used to send us like quizzes over to go through um and just having a bit of a laugh really and then we met up with her um, at Brennan Palace um last month and I hadn't seen her since February and that's the longest I've gone without seeing her well there you go now again we talked about the visual side of things go on I've just had a text come through and my friend has said on the 25th, you can go swimming again. So I'm happy oh, now. <laughs> there you are, you see. Exactly. Make sure it's all socially distanced as gyms begin to open up and so on. It's uh, fantastic. Um, now, again, it's interesting. Just describing your background. It's, it's a wonderful spot. Are you at the top of your house at present? Is that is that the kind of the, is, it, is that the upper room of Grimmison Towers? I'm in the conservatory. Oh, you're in the conservatory. Oh, yeah, we're there. We are. You see, this for some reason I, I had this notion that you're right at the top of the house there, and so through. But no, you're in the conservatory, just chilling out on that basis. Again, this is one of like this is my room where I find a lot of ambience because obviously it's got a lot of natural light in here, mm. um, and the computers in here as well. And I've been gaming. I've started to game as oh. well throughout the lockdown, and it keeps me occupied. And it's just so nice because i can just see like the garden and everything outside well there you are you see oh it's just clearly just making best use of the whole thing which is what we'd expect really from that point of view um particular games you recommend are you a halo girl are you a call of duty person or are you are you basically sort of no 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 i keep i keep it much more basic oh no i'm not i'm not that advanced i'm playing a game called stardew valley um it's like a farming game, but it's so good. And like, you have to, <laughs> you have to just grow crops, get animals and take a lot of stuff to people. And it's just quite fun. 
Sounds it's actually bit... maybe one of them in real life. <laughs> yeah, you see, this is it. Probably sounds very much just like, or rather like Tessa Snart doing the feature recently on Sound and Country Vision with Jane Southall from the Lincolnshire Agriculture Society. You had their first fully online virtual Lincolnshire Agriculture Society show this year, which I think is still uh, actually online, so you can actually check that out as well. Uh, Katie, we've covered a range of things. I'm not going to ask you to play the piano as yet. Uh, how, actually, how far away is it, are you from the piano? In in the in the conservatory, the piano won't be in the conservatory. It's yeah, a long it, way it's away. Upstairs. It's a long way away. Yeah. So clearly, you're not going to. We're not going to. We'll, we'll have to wait for that and, and get. And for all the Grimerson fans out there who actually say, "When's Katie going to play the piano?" We'll say, "Sometime." Uh, wait in her own time. Yeah, it's just public performance. Uh, but final questions: Have you had a reasonably interesting Zuma with us on the program today? Yes, of course. I always do. This is your first Zuma, Katie. You've had phone links. This is the first Zuma, so you don't know. Nothing to compare it with. I do. Yeah. Yes, it's been good. It's it's basically like a phone. It's better than a phone link, actually, because I've got the choice to see you. Or not. Exactly. It's just one of those two things, really. Uh, so then, will you be able to return? Will you come back and join us again in the very near future? Yes, I will. <laughs>